Happy Father's Day to all of you dads. We are so grateful to have you in the place. And dads, today, we just want to take a moment to honor you. Thank you uh, for who you are. Thank you for what you mean. I actually did some research this week, and I won't share a bunch of statistics with you, but here's what I found. Here's what, uh, here's what I realized researchers are still uncovering data. They're still uncovering the significance of what it means to have a caring adult male in the home. Uh, if you have a father at home, if you have a caring adult male, children are more emotionally secure. They're more likely to graduate. They're less likely to go to jail. They're more likely to go to church, and they're more likely to stay in church in adulthood, all of that because of the presence of a dad. All of that because of a, a man who cares and who's there for the kids. And so I don't think we could say it strongly enough. And I'm not trying to uh, belittle. I know that some of you ladies, you're raising kids and you're doing the best you can. And your mom and dad, and we salute you as well. Your job is hard. Some grandparents, there's certain situations where it's just not possible. But dads, what you do is absolutely incredible. And I'll go so far as to say, I think one of the greatest crises in our country today is the rise of fatherlessness, the rise of homes without dads present. And so for all you dads that are there, for all you dads that are present and involved, we just salute you. If you're a biological dad, a stepdad, an adopted dad, a spiritual dad, what you do is significant. And so we thank you, sir, for your contribution. And as a small, t I'm going to laugh here, but it's not... As a small token, uh, we got you something, Dad. Now, I know earlier this morning you were thinking, I wonder what alligator tastes like. I wonder how good a buffalo beef jerky stick would be. As these are the thoughts that go through a dad's mind. Well, Dad, wander no longer. Today, as you leave service, we have got some exotic beef jerky for you. We're just here to bless you. These are the little things we do. So anyway, dads, you make sure you get yours first. And when everybody's gotten theirs, uh, then, then the rest of us can try all the weird stuff. I think there's some kangaroo maybe. And so anyway, it'll either be really neat or it'll be gross. And so you're welcome. All right. <clears throat> well, let's jump into it. We're in a sermon series called I Am Blessed. I am blessed. I, I want that to be our declaration. I, I want that to be our perspective over the next few weeks as we go through this sermon series. So would you say that with me on the count of three? One, two, three. I am blessed. So good. Man, you guys are ready today. I am blessed. Hey, listen, guys. When, when I feel like it and when I don't, I'm blessed. When I'm on top of the world, and when the world's on top of me, I am blessed. And the thing we've been seeing and learning and the thing that Jesus is teaching us through Scripture is that being blessed is not determined by what's happening around me. Being blessed is determined by what's happening in me. I'm going to say that again. We're going to put that on the screen. All you note takers, I want to encourage you, write that down. Being blessed is not determined by what's happening around me. 
but it's determined by what's happening in me. And we're seeing that in Matthew chapter 5. We're looking at the Beatitudes. There Jesus makes eight statements about if you'll be this way, if you'll, if you'll act like this, if you will be this way, become this type of person, then you will be blessed. And really, we can contrast that to the Ten Commandments because in the Ten Commandments, they, they were ten statements given to us in the Old Testament, but it was a list of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. And if we do something we're not supposed to do, or if we don't do something we're supposed to do, there was the fear of punishment. Oh no, what's going to happen? I broke a rule. Well, Jesus, he comes, and, and his teaching, he changes it up a little bit. He doesn't give a fear of punishment. He says, hey guys, if you will be this way, not just a list of, of to check off every day, but if you will be this way, if, if this will become who you are, you will be blessed. And so we've already gone over verses 3 and 4. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And the thing we saw is that we're blessed when we're poor in spirit because we realize our, our poverty of spirit. We realize, I owe a debt I cannot pay. And when, when we see that, when, when that is our self-assessment, we're blessed because we see our need of God. And, and then while we're there and while we're looking at our own sin, blessed are those who mourn, not just cry to be crying, not just mourn to be mourning, but we mourn over our sin. When we see our sin, when we're confronted with that, and we have an emotional reaction, when, when there is that godly sorrow that we talked about last week, that's when we are blessed. And so today we're looking at the next verse. It's the third beatitude. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. When I say meek, chances are that's just not something that we, that's not a word we interact with a lot. I, I was going to have you raise your hands if you've said meek this week, but I'm not going to do that because I'm scared. Some of you guys may be a little bit more well-versed than I am. That's just not something a lot of us say very much. And, and so when we do hear the word meek, the connotation there, the thing that we think about is mild-mannered or soft-spoken, someone who's passive or weak or they're a pushover. As a matter of fact, I want to show you a definition. This is from dictionary.com. Meek is humbly patient or docile as under provocation from others. Overly submissive, not just submissive, but overly submissive or compliant, spiritless, tame, obsolete. Not a very flattering depiction. When, when I think about the way I want to be and the way I want to live, th this is not it. I don't want to be overly submissive or spiritless or tame. And, and so I need a little bit of help in understanding that. And I think most of us do because I think for a lot of guys, for men, and I'm sorry, ladies, I'm, I'm just thinking about men here because it's Father's Day. We think about church and we think about serving in church and, and we think about those types of things. And 
the thought that just kind of naturally comes to mind is, I don't want to do that because I don't want to be like this. That, that's not what I want to be true of me. But I want to tell you, when, when Jesus is instructing us to be meek, that's not what he was thinking. When we look in the Gospels, when we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the things that's very obvious is that Jesus was a man's man. He was not some pushover, spiritless. He wasn't a wimp. As a matter of fact, one time there, there's a story in the Gospels where this crowd gathers around Jesus and, and it says that they were breathing out murderous threats against him. They're, they're there and they mean ill for him. They, it is not, they're not happy to see him. And scripture tells us that he walked right through them. Come on, somebody. He won't scare, excuse me, get out of my Watch out. He gets on out of there. Twice he went into the temple and we see in God's word that he turned over the tables and he drove the money changers out. There was a holy boldness in him that he wasn't some pushover. He wasn't a wimp. As a matter of fact, when we see a descriptions of God in scripture, we don't see spiritless or tame. We see things like Zephaniah 317. The Lord your God is with you. Read that next part with me. The mighty warrior who saves. Our God is a warrior. Exodus 15.3, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Our God is a warrior. Our God is a warrior. And, and his word tells us that we were made in his image. And, and God has put a warring spirit in us. Not for destruction, but we're to go to war against the things of the enemy, against principalities and powers. We're, we're to go to war when there is God's thumbprint on us, this warring spirit. I think that's one of the reasons why when you see little boys especially, maybe little girls do this. I, I got a little boy. I got two boys, so this is what I know. They want to wear costumes. They want to wear Iron Man costumes and Spider-Man costumes. They want to be dangerous but they want to be dangerous for the bad guys. They want to be good. I think that's God's thumbprint on us. One of the best pictures I've got of my four-year-old son, this was about a year ago. He came to me. It was one Saturday morning. I'm up. I'm sitting in my recliner. He wakes up, and he comes in the living room. First thing on his mind, Daddy, I want to put on my Spider-Man outfit said, yes, sir, bud, let's go do it. So we go in there, put on his Spider-Man outfit, head to toe, even got the mask. This is plastic mask. It cannot be comfortable. And so he spends about the next 15 minutes shooting spider webs, and he's just doing all, yeah, yeah. He's all over there in the corner doing his thing. Go for it. Then he subdues all the bad guys in the house, and he goes and plays blocks, and he's doing his thing. And for about an hour, he's just wearing that costume. Then he comes up to me, and he says, Dad, I want it. I'm hungry. I want breakfast. I said, okay, let's get you out of this. He said, no, Daddy, I'm Spider-Man. All right, buddy. Figured, well, Halloween's already passed, whatever, if he gets, it, gets milk on it or something. And so I've got a picture of him, and I shared it on Facebook. He's sitting there at his little Mickey Mouse table, Spider-Man head to toe, eating his cereal. 
And the little caption I put on Facebook was, I sure feel safe when superheroes come over for breakfast. Wouldn't take anything for that. That's God's thumbprint on my son's life. That's God's thumbprint on us. We were made in his image and God is a warrior. So meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness rather is strength under control. It's strength under control. In the original language, the idea is that of a wild animal that has been tamed and is now completely submissive. A wild animal. When God talks about his, his nation, his beloved people Israel in the Old Testament, I think it's two different occasions. He talks about them as being a wild donkey. They're just doing their own thing, and I try to love them, and I try to help them, and I try to lead them, and they're just stubborn as mules, and they go do their own thing. And it's part of the reason that Jesus wants us to be meek because he's not going to lead us in bad places. His, his desire is good for us. That's the reason why in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. If we will follow the leading of God, he will lead us to good places. But the question is, will we follow his leading? How many of you have ever ridden a horse? If you've ever ridden a horse, let me see your hands. Hold them high. Oh my goodness. Yes, this is incredible. Okay. So you know the power of a horse. Man, they are, it's amazing how much muscle, how much just raw horsepower they have, isn't it? It's corny. I know. It's Father's Day. There's a dad joke for you. Anyway, Horses are incredibly powerful creatures. If you've ever ridden one, you know. And it's one of the reasons why the first thing you learn when you're around a horse is you do not stand where? You don't stand behind a horse. Because if a horse kicks you, he is going to break something. If a horse kicks you in the right place, he could kill you. That is the power of a horse has. And yet, so many of us, we know how, how powerful these animals are. And yet I asked, how many of you have ever ridden a horse? And hands went up all over the place. Are we crazy? <laughs> no, because that power was brought under control. We didn't ride wild, untamed horses. We rode horses that were broke. We rode horses that had been trained. About a year, year and a half ago, I was at Brent Grantham's house. Brent Grantham is our resident horse expert and uh, owns several horses and just trains horses, shows horses, that kind of thing. And so we had our bridge group meeting at Brent's house, and it was, we had, that was over, that was coming to an end. And several of the kids talked about how they wanted to go outside and, and pet the horses. So Brent's always incredibly generous and nice and we take the kids out there and, and they're doing their thing. And as we're walking back from the barn up to the house, I see this contraption. I, I don't know really what to call it. I see this thing and, and I asked the question. I'll tell you what I asked, but it does not paint me in a very flattering picture. I said, what is this, like a treadmill for a horse? What is this thing? Let me, let me show it to you. How many of y'all know what that is? Be honest. Oh, this is the Lord's house. Yeah. So anyway, I wasn't alone. 
This right here is called a patience pole. And so what the, the reason you use this, the reason you have this, is for a couple of different reasons. Number one is some horses are just, they're jittery. They don't like to just stand there. And, and in order for a, a, to be a horse you want to ride and want to be on, you want that horse to be able to stand still. And so you put this horse on a patience pole, and it can go full range of motion. It can go all the way around the patience pole. It, it's got a lot of range of motion for the head. And so it's not cruel or anything like that, but it, it allows the horse to learn to stand still. It allows the horse to learn it, to be patient, just to, to take all the jitteriness out of the horse. The other thing that these patience poles are really good for is whenever you're training a horse, you're taming a horse, you're trying to show it how to do certain things, Brent tells me that the thing you do is you work with the horse over and over and over and over and over again on the same thing. You, you build a lot of repetition in, and then you don't let the horse go back to the barn because he, he would lay down, he would have, oh, I'm home, all right, let me just hang out. And, and no, you don't take a horse back to the barn. You don't give a horse food immediately after you work with a horse because then the horse's mind goes to food and all that lesson you just spent, all that time, a lot of times it's gone. And so the thing you want to do when you train a horse is you want to come hook it up to the patience pole. And, and it reinforces the lesson. It reinforces what that horse has just learned. It helps that horse become more tame. Some of you guys know where I'm going with this. It's like us. It's, it's the reason why God tells us we need a quiet time. We need to have time where we just pray and we're not in a hurry. And, and we're not rushing and we're not behind schedule and there's nowhere else we're supposed to be and the phone's not around and the kids aren't around. And we just have some time to pray and focus on God and not be in a hurry. It's the reason why Scripture tells us that we should meditate on Scripture. When we read our word, God wants us to take some time and just think about what we've read. Think about what we're learning. It is in those moments that God brings revelation. All, all that means, you've maybe heard that in church before, revelation, that just means that God reveals something to you. He reveals a truth about his word. He reveals something about himself Sometimes it'll happen in a hurry. Sometimes you'll just read it one time through and you'll be like, oh. But most of the time, we have to slow down. Most of the time, we have to take our time. And it is in those moments that God will bring that revelation that we desire. It is in those moments that we will sense the presence of God, that his intimacy will be the richest. Going back to horses, the best horses are the best trained horses. Come on. If I'm on a horse and I want it to go left and I give it my little signal for left, if it doesn't go left, I'm scared. I want you to do what I told you to do. If I tell it to trot or slow down, whoa, the best horses are the ones that do what the rider says. Guys, it's the same way. We will experience our best Christian life. We'll be most blessed 
when we learn to fall under the control of the Holy Spirit. Or let me say it this way, when we fall under the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's like I said a few moments ago. He wants to lead us to good places. The question is, will I submit my will to his will, knowing that he knows better than I know what I need? So I want to give you a couple examples of meekness. Uh, I don't just want to tell you about meekness. I don't just want to teach meekness. I want to show it to you in Scripture. Uh, The first example I have for you is Joseph. Joseph. Many of you know Joseph's story. Some of you may not. It's in Genesis. I want to encourage you to go and read it. So many twists and turns, so many amazing parts of Joseph's story. But Joseph has many brothers, and he is his dad's favorite. Joseph is. And so his brothers get tired of that. His brothers just, oh man, they grow so weary of that. And so one day they're out, they're away from home, and the brothers decide, you know what? We're going to sell him into slavery. (laughs) Pretty dramatic, right? But they sell him into slavery. Off Joseph goes, never to be seen or heard from again. Bye. And they go and they dip Joseph, a piece of Joseph's clothing in animal's blood and they take it back to their dad and they say, Dad, Joseph got mauled by a wild animal, so he's gone. Well, his father grieves. There's this time where his father's just beside himself. And I don't know that his dad ever really got over it, but 22 years pass. And the family begins to go on. The family begins to, they adjust to the new normal. Well, during that time, let me tell you what God was doing in Joseph's life. God orchestrated a lot of up and down, ups and downs. But eventually, Joseph became the second in charge in Egypt. The first guy in charge was Pharaoh. And scripture tells us that all he concerned himself was with what he was going to eat. That's all he had to think about. What am I going to eat today? Well, I had beef yesterday. I guess I should have chicken. That's all he's thinking about. That's all he's thinking about. And so Joseph is running the day-to-day operations. He's pretty much running the kingdom. He's in power. He's in control. And God had given this dream to Pharaoh. And he told Pharaoh, here's this dream. Pharaoh brought all these people from the from the royal court, none of them could tell him what the dream meant. And so they bring in Joseph. Again, I'm, I'm summarizing a whole lot. But they bring in Joseph, and Joseph says, here's what God's saying to you. Pharaoh, there's going to be seven years of abundance. There's going to be so much grain, we're not even going to need it all or want it all. But then following the seven years of abundance, there's going to be seven years of of famine and seven years of lack. And so Pharaoh, what I think you should do is I think you should begin to collect the extra grain. I think you should take it and put it away so that during the seven years of famine, we're not, we're not in a bad place. Pharaoh said, sounds good. Sounds like you're the guy to do it. You be in charge of that. And so Joseph was. Here's the point of the story. After 22 years, 22 years, Joseph's brothers walk into the room. His family is out of food. And now Joseph is in this unique position where he is the one with all the power. 
He is completely in charge in Egypt. He has the power to say, go to jail. He has the power to say, they're dead, kill them for no reason. He could, in that moment, Joseph held all the power. And his brothers come in and they're completely at his mercy. They're starving. They don't have any food. Now Joseph reveals himself to them and immediately they are terrified. And the question is, in that moment, what's Joseph going to do? Joseph shows mercy. Joseph chooses to humble himself and he shows meekness. The brothers were scared to death. He said, I'm not going to kill you. You're not going to... Here, take grain. Take it back to the family. Bring the family here. God's given me favor here. Joseph had all the power in that moment. And what he chose to do was to use that power, to leverage that power for the benefit of his brothers, for the benefit of his family. I'm going to skip over. I was going to tell you about Moses. Listen, guys, I could tell you about David in the cave with Saul. I could tell you about Stephen at the end of his life. Tremendous examples in Scripture of strength under control. But there's one more example I want to give you. It's from the life of Jesus. It's from the life of Jesus. I want us to read it. It's in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Here's what it says. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, so he had all power, everything that God could do, Jesus could do. He could have called legions of angels down when they were beating him and torturing him, but he didn't do that. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He chose not to, he had the power and he chose not to use it for his own advantage. Rather, this is what he did with it. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself so much, not only did he take on the appearance of man, he let his creation beat him and torture him. He died. He gave up his own life. And, and not only that, but he died a criminal's death, a torturous criminal's death on the cross, all because of his great love for us. So verse 9 Jesus showed meekness, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In doing this, and in many other cases, when he washed the disciples' feet, in many, many other cases in the life of Jesus, Jesus models meekness. And so now go back with me to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is teaching about meekness. He's saying, you want to be blessed? You, you want to live a blessed life? Be meek. This was 
completely unconventional at the time. This was the opposite of what everyone around him, everyone in that day would have known or thought about. Because in this culture, might made right. And so if you were bigger and stronger, you got to be right a lot. And if your army was bigger than this other kingdom's army, you could go in and take over. Because again, might made right. And Jesus flips all of that right on its head. And he says, no, no, no. Might doesn't make right. Meek makes blessed. And as the people heard that that day, it was like, wait, what? I mean, we want to be blessed. We, we want to know how to be blessed. But, but Jesus, you're telling me I'm bigger and stronger than, than those around me and I'm supposed to be meek? I'm supposed to have strength under control? Wait, what? Biblical meekness. Let me give you this definition. Biblical meekness is having the right or the power to do something but refraining for the benefit of someone else. I want to say that one more time. Biblical meekness is having the right or the power to do something, but refraining for the benefit of someone else. I want to tell you that it's 2019, thousands of years after this was written. And so we don't, might's not right in terms of swords and shields and spears anymore but we still crave power. We want to be the boss. I got a friend. He always says, I want to be the teller, not the told. <laughs> I want to be the one doing the bossing and the point, and I don't want to be the one doing, you know, on the other end of the finger there. We, we, we crave power. We want to be the one who wears the pants in the relationship. We want to be the, the sibling who's the executor of the will in, in many different ways. We crave power. And yet, Jesus is saying to us, <laughs> biblical meekness is having the right or power to do something, but refraining for the benefit of someone else. And so you and I make thousands of decisions every day. The question I want to leave us with is will we allow the Holy Spirit to lead our life? Will we allow someone besides me to be in charge of me? Will you allow you not to be the boss of your life, not to be the leader of your life, but would you begin to make room for the Holy Spirit to lead you? He's always going to lead you to good places. He has the best in mind for you. He, he wants good for you more than you want good for you. And these are the very words of Jesus. Blessed are the meek, for they, for they will inherit the earth. I want to close out our time together today by just having a prayer for the dads. I think if there's ever been a time where we need biblical meekness in this country, it is now. We need men, fathers, spiritual fathers, adopted fathers, stepfathers who will say, I'm committed. Pastor Andrew, I want to be a biblically meek man of God. So if you, if you fall into any of those descriptions, dad, adopted dad, spiritual dad, would you stand to your feet right now? If you're sitting, can we just, can we just pray over these folks?
Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for these men, for what they mean to our nation, for what they mean to our church, but most importantly, to what they mean for their families. We see in research, we see in scientific studies, we see in scripture that the role of a father is incredibly important. And so God, I just pray over these men. I I pray over them as they lead themselves, as they lead their families, as they make decisions. I pray that you would give them wisdom. I pray for blessing and protection. I pray, Father, that, that a spirit of meekness would rise up in us. Lord, that, that even though we have the right or the power to do something, that we would think about, that, that we would consider what are the implications for those around me? What are the implications for those who I love most? And that that would inform our decision. I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that we would be more meek, that we would grow in our meekness, that we wouldn't overpower people or situations, but God, we would humble ourselves. Your word tells us that if we will humble ourselves before you, that you will exalt us in due time. So Father, thank you for each and every one here. I pray a special blessing over these men. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to gather and hear your word today. Pray it on Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.